Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How Do You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Cassandra Moultrie, who is Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Program Manager at Google. Hi, Cassandra. Lovely to have you here. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you so much. So let's start off with a quick introduction. I guess, who are you? And also an answer would be appreciated to the question of the podcast, which is how do you do it and why should I care? Uh, so again, name's Cassandra Moultrie, uh, originally from Springfield, Massachusetts. So grew up in New England, uh, oldest of four. Um, dad's a retired police officer, mom's social worker, uh, went to school in the mid-Atlantic, uh, did a few different jobs that had me go in different places across the country. Um, DC, Atlanta, made it out to California. I'm currently in Connecticut, um, but eventually made my way into tech. Um, and I was doing very technical, heavy, uh, programmatic work for Google's kind of shopping platform. Um, and then I kind of had an epiphany and I was like, Hey, I think I want to do diversity, equity, inclusion as my full-time job. And so I kind of started making the moves that I needed to make, uh, talking to the right people, building the right kind of pitches to get myself in, um, and obviously doing the interviews to get there. And um, I transitioned into the work of being a diversity, equity, and inclusion program manager. Um, if you had asked me, was that what I wanted to do when I was 18? Not even on my roadmap for what I wanted to do. Um, but in terms of why should you care, I think it's really important for people to kind of lead with what's their passion spaces and what's important to them. Um, the reality is, like, we're all going to work jobs. They're going to, you know, span several years, um, maybe even decades. And you should enjoy what you're doing. Um, so that's why I think you should care. <laughs> awesome. So I guess my next question would be, what inspired you to join this industry? I know you had a few jobs here and there, but what was there like a specific point in your life or a series of experiences that made you want to join the DE&I field? <sighs> so I'll actually take a step back and I'll more so talk about like tech. So um, in full transparency, the financial stability was a big kind of attraction for me. Um, I graduated college. So basically we had a recession in 2007. That's when I entered school. Mm -hmm. And then I was that first generation that was really coming out of school, having kind of had the effects of that um, and having the kind of economy work its way back in. So financial um, stability was a really big thing. So I started in commercial real estate tech. Um, mm -hmm. And then I eventually transitioned into working for Google, which is more like engineering heavy tech about solving those big problems for the world. Um, and I think this aligns because, again, I originally went in wanting to, you know, make the money to make sure I could pay off my student loan debt and pay my bills and help my family. Um, but it transitioned into how can I work a job where, yeah, it's in a corporate environment, which originally was not something I wanted to do. I'm going to be here. How can I do something that's going to actually make the world around me better? Um, and I think that transitions into the diversity space really nicely because it's just kind of echoing that. I realized that the work I was doing wasn't really changing much, wasn't having a significant impact um, on the world or even the people who looked like me, at least in the way I wanted it to. Um, and so I made the conscious decision to start focusing my energy more into how can I make Google um, more diverse? How can I make the world more diverse? Um, and then kind of having the conversations to get there. Um, I will say I actually had a, I remember when I was interviewing to transition over, um, and I referred to Freud <laughs> and I had this moment where, you know, in tech, you're not traditionally going to see, um, a lot of African-American, 
folks, especially African-American women on a full team of, you know, women who identify um, in that space. And I referenced Freud because it was like, I had a moment where as I was looking for roles, I had one black female manager who um, was interviewing me and I was like, I think I want to be in your team because for the first time I'm seeing like what I'm aiming to have, like, and also someone I can look up to who looks like me reflected back at me. And I bring up the Freud piece because as a baby, you kind of have the reflection of yourself and you see it for the first time you realize like, oh my goodness, this is what I want to be around. This is what I want to see and who I want to interact with. Yeah. Um, and I was having that moment <laughs> kind of as a 20 something year old, um, which was very weird, but very uh, great for me to kind of experience and actually be able to put words to it. Um, and so I made the transition into the DEI space. Awesome. Well, it seems like you've definitely found a role which has struck a perfect balance between your interest in tech and also your interest in DEI. So I'm very excited for you. Let's see where your career progresses. Yeah, thank you. That is awesome. So I guess um, I was also curious to find out what resources were the best to help you make that transition into the DEI space. Um, you know, when I entered into DEI, so it's been a very big kind of topic for the past year. But I've been working um, full time in the space for about two ish years, and then I'd say spending about fifty percent of my working time for the year prior in, in the space, um, at least in a more explicit manner. Uh, or at least in a way in which I was getting paid to do it. <laughs> so um, I will say a big motivation was honestly like my friends at work. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very supportive. They realized like, they're like, no, when you talk about this and when you're doing work in this space, you seem to be able to move very well and be very agile and adapt, um, but also get consensus and get things done. Um, so that was a great resource, the individuals kind of realizing and calling out those pieces. Um, but I'd say even still on the note of friends, my friends outside of work who were very brutally honest with me and were like, Hey, you don't really love what you're doing right now. And you're the type of person where if you don't love what you're doing, you're going to not to want, you're not going to want to be there really soon. So Mm -hmm. do what you need to do to uh, get yourself into that space. And, you know, I listened. Um, I will say another resource, the news and media, I don't think I could do my job without it. Um, You have to know what's going on in the world, even if it's in spaces that you may not directly identify with. Mm. Um, So I'm, I go through CNN, I go through Fox, I go through all the big name websites. I'm even the person who's like going through the random sites that pop up on, you know, your Facebook feed, just anything interesting that's worth noting. Mm -hmm. Um, because it helps, especially in the DEI space, to have a full idea of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. I only have my kind of perspective, um, but being able to kind of read up on what's going on in other places in the world um, and also like different people's opinions on what's going on, I think is really, really useful. That's awesome. And it seems like, you know, you had a lot of experience in tech before coming into the DEI space, but I was just wondering, are there any lessons that you wish you would have known before entering the DEI space specifically? lessons I would have wanted to know before entering the space. Um, I think one lesson I was learning in the kind of transition into uh, the DEI space, not maybe specifically um, in the tech space, um, again, is the area piece of like, do what makes you happy. <laughs> when you're doing what makes you happy, you're ultimately going to perform better. 
you're going to be a happier person, especially um, at a company like Google. You really strive for um, having people enjoy what they're doing. <laughs> I think if you're constantly aiming to find that like match of mm-hmm. Uh, what makes you happy, what you're passionate about, and ultimately where your strong skill set is, you're going to find a way to succeed. Um, so that's one of the big things I think I learned kind of prior and in going into the space. Um, another lesson that I learned is don't get caught up on titles. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter if you're called the director of this or the, you know, just a program manager, or even if you're someone who's an independent, uh, individual contributor. Um, that's not always super important. Mm. You can move mountains if you're just one person with one month of work, if you're the right person to do it. You don't need to be, you know, John, who's the SVP of this, who's been doing it for 20 years. You might be the person who can go and influence John. And then John says, hey, go in the room and say that thing for me. Um, Don't get caught up on title. Title is not super important. Um, Your background and history and what, the things that you've been able to do effectively and efficiently, those are the things that often speak um, to your abilities. Yeah. And also going back to what you said earlier, you know, you're passionate about what you're doing and what makes you wake up every day for work definitely will help to come across, you know, in your, in your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much stronger than a title. That's really cool though. Um, and then thinking about the span of your career, what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? <sighs> so I actually, I, I was jotting down notes before this and I landed on two things. So not that this is career, but I think it's leading in that direction. Definitely the first semester of my freshman year of college uh, is one of them. I nearly flunked out. <laughs> so um, I got kicked out of like student orgs on campus. That's how bad my grades got. Um, and it was because I was not super comfortable with kind of separating from my family. Um, I was about five and a half, six hours away. And I was like, I need to go home as often as I could. I was the kid who was on a plane anytime I could afford to get on a flight. Mm. I was using my student card to buy like Southwest gift cards to go home. Um, I was still caught up in like my old life and I wasn't willing to adapt. Um, And so it was really hindering me and growing and being successful. And um, again, going back to my friends and they're like, dude, like you're going to a good school, go to your good school. Um, When I got into that mindset, not only did I start doing better grade wise, (laughs) but I started to be able to say the same thing to other friends who were experiencing the same kind of things a little, um, a little bit after I did. Um, the next thing I guess I'd kind of call out, I was fired from a job when I was 25. Um, for one reason or another, you know, I actually was going to resign from the job the week that they uh, fired me. Um, and I had just bought a house about two and a half months before. Mm-hmm. Um So I was like, how am I going to survive when I have a house like to pay for? And I have like my family who I'm still helping in some capacity. Um, How am I going to do this? I remember calling my mother and I was like, I feel like I failed you. Um, I feel like I'm not doing the right thing. Like, how did I end up here? And then I spent some time just like not doing anything. I sat in my, in my place for almost like three weeks. I'd go outside of course, but like, it was like three weeks of like, writing and very pensive moments of like realizing how can you pivot from this um and so much as as much as it was a failure I actually started my first contract job with Google within a month of that Mm -hmm. and I am now a full-time employee there (laughs) um and that was back in 2000 and gosh 14 um 
So as much as it, I consider it like one of the failures, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I wouldn't probably be in the place I'm in today um, if it wasn't for that situation. Yeah, it's always good to use it as a learning opportunity. And as you said, you wouldn't be at Google probably if that hadn't have happened. And mm-hmm. Back to your freshman year story as well. I can completely relate. You know, I had to fly so far away from home to come to study in the US. And yeah, that that being away from home definitely hit hard. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? We're stronger than ever. And, you know, we learn how to deal with it. And now I can, as you mentioned, you can give that advice to other people who are going through the same thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, speaking about advice, what advice would you give to somebody who is wanting to enter the DE&I space? I have this conversation, I'd say every other week, because it's one of those like buzz industries right now. Mm. There's always jobs open for uh, DE&I. <clears throat> and the conversation I have with folks, especially ones who want roles at Google, because I get LinkedIn requests all the time wanting to like discuss through things. Um, I always tell folks to... One, like ask yourself if you could do this job if you were constantly getting no. Mm-hmm. Like, could you work in this space if you constantly are getting told no? And this is, I didn't come up with this, by the way. Um, the woman that I referenced who hired me into the DEI space, she asked me that question. <laughs> she said, Can you do a job where you, most of the time they're going to tell you no? You have to find a way to work around it. And if the answer is no, then this is probably not the space for you. Because again, when I was transitioning into this space, it wasn't, not to say that corporations or even Google didn't consider it a priority, but of all the other priorities that they had, this was not the utmost one. Mm -hmm. Um, Today it is. So I I think that question still stands there because you're working, I'm working at a company that very much relies on like making a product that make multiple products actually (laughs) that make money that changes how people decide to search things (laughs) and how they decide to interact with their fitness apps and things like that. Uh, You have to be in a place where they're going to be like, Hey, no, we want to maybe not do your mentorship program, but we'd like you to resource your time towards helping get like five of these folks like onboarded faster so that they can do this engineering thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to be aware that that's something that could happen. Um, I think the other piece of advice that I would give to someone um, looking to go into this space is be mindful of if, especially right now, be mindful of if you're kind of caught up in the hype (laughs) or if you truly want this, like, and it's kind of, this is similar to what I tell folks when you're about to get a tattoo. I have like nine of them. I think I want to get a tattoo and it's like, okay, take a year. Decide what you want before that year. Take a year. And if in a year you go back and you still want to do that thing, then do it. Mm. You don't want to do it in a year, then don't do it. (laughs) So I argue don't get caught up in kind of the excitement that everyone's engaged. And you might have this kind of new sense of uh, like urgency to do something. There are lots of ways to do uh, work in the diversity, equity, inclusion space. And it doesn't require, again, going back to having a title. For it, there are lots of ways you can do it. You can be an engineer and you can say, hey, I want to go through all the back, all our source code and say like, uh, you know, we need to change some of the language so that let's say we have an engineer who's blind going through here, mm-hmm. that the language is more adaptable to them. Or maybe someone who learned a different 
uh, particular type of coding language is able to readily adapt to our current language that we're using. Yeah. Um, or even going as far as saying like, I think all of our templates use too many colors. And how do we take those colors and make them simple so that uh, those folks who are colorblind or at least fall on the colorblind spectrum are more uh, easily able to go through presentations and not have to ask the question of, okay, that that circle is some type of color. Is there any reason it's that color? Mm. Uh, there are simple ways to do that. But again, uh, going back to that second point, it's ask yourself if you really want to be there and maybe take some time to uh, kind of sit on it and then revisit to see if it's truly you kind of going with what's going on versus truly something you want to do. Awesome. And then what is one common myth about the DE1I field that you'd like to debunk? Common myth? Um, I'd say, so the space is very broad. Hmm. Um, again, you can say DE&I falls in the product inclusion space. You have, um, you know, my space is very people operations, human resources adjacent. Um, I do a lot of consultation with, uh, senior leaders. Um, and I don't, I'd say my particular role, if you ever see diversity, equity, inclusion program manager external at Google, there is a very high chance that you are not going to be the person who's going to be sitting down, um, with like particular students at schools, <laughs> you're, you're creating the programs and you're helping other people get things done. You're not the person actually having the conversations to motivate someone to come in. Sometimes you are, but it's not the core piece of your job. Mm-hmm. A program manager at the end of the day, um, I used to always say, even in my prior role when I was uh, working on Google shopping team, our responsibility is to be a hyper generalist mm-hmm. <laughs> and to make sure that we can plug people in the right places to get things done. Yeah. And it's not always to do the things that, you know, we need people to do in order to consider ourselves successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I'd say debunking it to a degree, we're not always the folks who are uh, having the conversations and kind of that last smile to get someone hired to get someone in. That's not my job. Um, my job is to help solve for these problems that we have and to put people in the right places um, to get to those solutions. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. And then I'm sure you're obviously very busy at the moment. Mm-hmm. Your job's probably in full force, but what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you? Um, so I actually wanted to take a different spin on this. I, so I'm, I have an English degree um, as one of my degrees in a political science degree. Since I graduated college 10 years ago, me and reading have not been best friends because <laughs> I was reading about, mm, 60 to 70 books a semester when I was an undergrad. Wow, that is very impressive. Um, So with that being said, I have found a huge passion for film. Mm. Um, And I actually want to call it films versus books. I have read books, um, a lot of fiction books. Like I can say, oh, I read the new Hunger Games like prequel. And that was interesting. But... um, I'd say uh, two films that I actually watched pretty recently um, that kind of put some perspective into how I was engaging, not just with my job, but with my family. Um, So Just Mercy and the United States uh, versus Billie Holiday. Um, I I referenced Just Mercy um, because I have a family member who's in a particular situation right now where they're incarcerated. And uh, one of the questions that's asked during the film is like, essentially is why didn't anyone 
believe that this person didn't do this when they said I didn't do it why didn't you believe them mm-hmm. and in watching the movie I was like oh crap I didn't do that for my own family member <laughs> well, and I, I started to ask that of peers like you know you hear things in working spaces and you see things um in the media but like are we ever providing that accountability piece of maybe the person didn't do the thing that we think they did that may have caused a situation mm-hmm. or asking like hey did you do this um, so that was a really eye-opening moment for me. Um, and then United States versus Billy Holiday. Um, I just think that it was a very good kind of walkthrough of not to get like super political heavy here. Um, but it was a really like good representation of kind of how slow, um, unfortunately the black community has been able to progress in America mm-hmm. and how, we do have systems that are in place. Again, not saying the government, but there are systems in place that don't all, they're not always built to support us and ensure that our voices are heard um, and to ensure that we're able to continue to kind of be our authentic selves while doing what we like and love to do. Um, So I'd I'd say watch those two films. (laughs) They sound super interesting. And um, obviously you mentioned your family earlier, but who are the people in your life who have been the most influential to you? Uh, uh, so I'd say my grandmother, um, on my mother's side, Peg, uh, she passed away a few months ago. Um, but you know, she was very influential. She's actually the reason I went and got that English degree I referenced. Okay. Uh, when I was a little kid, I, and she had cats and I'm very allergic to cats, but I'd always go, I think it was like twice a month. I'd sleep over and eat frosted flakes and we'd do word jumbles. And she made me fall in love with words. Um, I I guess to double down on that English piece, um, I had a teacher in high school who I think uh, was super influential, um, Miss Keenan. And I constantly use like two quotes that she has um, with one of them being, uh, (laughs) there are but so many great ideas and then they're often repeated. (laughs) Uh, But it's it's very true. Like think about, like The Lion King is a really good example. It's an adaptation of a Shakespeare play. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but most folks don't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are just so many things. There's like, oh, this is actually something that was written in the 1600s that have just been modernized to make it more appropriate to uh, the current generations. Mm-hmm. And I use that in so many papers in college. And I even use it now in talking to my peers at work. They're like, oh, let's do this thing. And I was like, oh, someone had that idea two years ago. <laughs> so um, that is so cool. Yeah. Um, and I'd say the third uh, person, um, again, going back when I said that I had that, uh, the woman who interviewed me for my diversity and inclusion role, uh, her name's Suzanne French. Uh, she is a black woman from Louisiana. Um, you know, she is an attorney by practice, has been a VP at uh, AT&T and some other companies. Um, she works at Google in a leadership role. Um, when she hired me into the role, she was really good at setting expectations. And she, she gave me autonomy and freedom to kind of screw up, (laughs) um, which I think is really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that, she gave me the, the freedom to screw up, but she also made sure that she knew what I was doing. So she could always have my back. That's good. Um, and I don't know if all managers are necessarily built in that way to realize that when you do those things, when you provide the autonomy and you give people space to screw up, but you also have their back when that happens, 
but you can create some really good employees and some trustworthy employees and ultimately folks who don't want to leave you. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's awesome. And then finally, to wrap up our conversation, what is one piece of advice that you wish you gave yourself at any point in your life? Uh, so I actually, I was reading something online that was like, what are three words that you would have told your, told your high school self? And I was like, buy Tesla early. (laughs) 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 That was the first one. Um, but no, the advice I would give myself, um, you know, when I was a little kid, um, I honestly, I'm still kind of, I still kind of struggle with it a bit. Um, I convinced myself that it was better to always be in the background than be a person in the forefront doing anything. And I became really good at that. I was the teammate who assisted in getting a goal, but not the one who actually scored the goal. I was the kid who did, you know, the backstage stuff in the theater, but not the person on the stage. Um, I became really, really good at that. But the reality is it was okay if I actually became the person who was on, uh, who was on the front stage. And so I've intentionally been trying to put myself in situations like this where I can kind of speak for myself, um, have forms where I can be recognized not for just being the person in the background who ensured something got done, um, but ultimately being like, no, I did this myself. Awesome. Well, I hope this can help. This podcast can help you on that journey. Um, So yeah, thank you once again, Cassandra, for speaking with me today. It was absolutely lovely to hear your story and to also hear more about you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.